What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond, and you are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show, we're talking about Game 3 of the Blazers-Lakers first round playoff series. If you're a new listener, welcome. We do things in three parts here at Locked on Blazers. So what I want to talk about in this first segment is foul calls. It's undeniably big part of Game 3, so we'll talk break that down in depth. Second segment, I want to talk about Yusuf Nurkic. The impact of Zach Collins' injury and what we've seen from Nurk through these first three games. And then I want to close the show with some solutions for how the Blazers can bounce back in Game 4. It's not that simple. The Lakers are good, but I think there's real things that can be done. We will talk about some adjustments or just some things that need to happen. Let's start with the foul calls. I generally on this podcast avoid talking about the refs, talking about fouls. I think it's the most boring way to analyze the game. Uh, I, I, I don't find it particularly interesting, but the, the Lakers won a game by 8, 116-108 in Game 3 to take a 2-1 series lead, and they took 43 th- free throws compared to just 19 for the Blazers. The disparity was even wider in the first half when the Lakers took 31 free throws compared to just 8 for Portland. So instead of putting on my tinfoil hat and telling you about how the league is rigged to benefit LeBron James and the Lakers, the most popular team, basketball team in the world, I went back and watched all the fouls from the first half. Uh, the, the, the whistle slowed down a little bit for the, for the Lakers in the second half. I didn't watch all 43 free throws or anything like that, but I watched every single foul in the first half. There were 17 fouls called in the Blazers. And what I want to do in this segment is just highlight some ones that were actually egregious and you can be mad about and others that are just the Blazers, who they are. They're a fouling-ass team. They've been doing it all year. They foul too much. It's something that they do. It's part of their DNA. Even with an improved defense or a different-looking defense is probably a better way to say that, they are still prone to fouling. They're not, a, they're not very good at keeping the ball in front of them or keeping the ball out of the paint. So that leads to fouls. But I watched all 17 fouls in the first half. I woke up early on Sunday morning, fired up the DVR, watched all 17 calls. Here's what I learned. <laughs> that first foul of the game should have it should have given you a clue. Uh, Anthony Davis took in the top of the key three and kind of kicked his leg out and caught CJ McCollum. They called a foul on McCollum, and AD gets three free throws. That's a tough call, but I don't think it was super egregious live. On the replay, it looks pretty egregious, but at full speed, it kind of looked like CJ maybe clipped him. Uh, the refs ha- probably need to do better than that, uh, but I don't think, at least in those in the first two minutes of the game, that that would have driven me insane, made my blood boil as a Blazer fan. I did, that one didn't upset me, but if it really upset you, boy, did it set the tone for the rest of the game. Uh, Whiteside picked up two fouls right after that, one going for an offensive rebound that was just super stupid, another in transition against LeBron James, whatever those happen. The first truly egregious foul happens at the 627 mark of the first quarter. Mello is called for a hand check guarding LeBron on the block. This isn't that bad of a foul call in terms of, I can't believe they whistled it, but it was a weak call, um, and it was a weak call that a superstar got. Those happen, see Damian Lillard versus the Dallas Mavericks if you're into it. But in any case, the Blazers now have committed four team fouls halfway through the period. This is the bad news. A couple dumb fouls by one really bad foul by Hassan, but uh, another one that maybe he could have gotten out of the way, just given up a dunk, but that doesn't feel good. So you want him protecting the rim. Uh, somewhat questionable call on CJ. 
and then this bad call on Mello, and all of a sudden you are one foul away from the bonus, and that bonus comes at the 5-11 mark when Anthony Davis pulls a really weak rip through to get Wenyan Gabriel. Wenyan Gabriel is um, going to get foul calls. He's young. He's He can get bullied around. If you're not strong enough, you get foul calls against you because you get bumped around and you're out of control. He gets a really weak rip-through call. Davis gets free throws. Then here in the final two minutes, Anthony Simons checks in and gets two pretty tough whistles on him. The first on a drive by Kuzma. Hard to say if if, uh, Simons touched him. They didn't show it on the replay. I couldn't find a reverse angle of it. And uh, they were talking to, they were like playing a promo during the free throw. So they didn't replay the, uh, replay the foul on the broadcast. So that one seemed pretty bad. There's a minute and 40 seconds left in the first quarter. Kuzma gets shots and then a really weak hand check by Simons away from, or away from the rim and two more free throws at the end of the quarter. That's just bad close to the quarter, bad defense, but the tough calls, the tough foul on CJ, the tough foul on Mello leads to the Blazers being in the bonus. They're going to commit fouls. They're a fouling ass team. Like I, like I said, this is who they are. But a couple bad foul calls early in the period escalated, gave the Lakers some freebies, some free throws that they otherwise may not have gotten. But that's just the that's the problem with being in the bonus. The problem with bad fouls is that you give up free throws. The second quarter, I think these are the two most egregious calls of the first half. If you're going to be mad, here's the ones I would point to to be mad at. 11 minutes and 22 seconds, right at the beginning of the second quarter, an extremely generous and one Carmelo Anthony fouling LeBron James. I think he fouled him, but he fouled him like on the gather in the middle of the paint and James contorted his body around another defender and made a layup. Really generous call. Just a just a, a superstar getting a just a, a real gift from the refs. It happens, but it gets worse because it happened. Two minutes later. About nine minutes and 40 seconds left. Dwight Howard grabs a rebound and tries to dunk home, dunk it home on the follow. And Hassan Whiteside goes up with him and he is called for a foul. Uh, Howard missed the dunk and they called the foul. Kind of think it's one of those things where they blew a the whistle because the ball missed, because, because it came off the rim. That will happen. Refs are guessing sometimes. Um, you don't want them to do that, but they are indeed. So now the Blazers have two fouls three less than three minutes into the quarter. Two, two minutes and 20 seconds into the quarter. They're going to be in the bonus for six minutes. They're going to give up a ton of free throws because of these two terrible foul calls. These are the bad ones. These are the ones you should be mad about. Two possessions later, excuse me, the next possession, Nurk wraps up LeBron James. Could have given up a layup. Instead, he kind of like bear hugged him, gives up free throws. Then Nurk gets an and one, uh, or LeBron gets an and one, getting Nurk in the air. Nurk challenged for one shot and prevented a layup and then he tried to challenge for another one LeBron got under him and got a foul kind of a weak call but you could see it happening like you could you could I don't I don't think that one was that bad at all but now but now the next foul puts the Lakers the Blazers in the penalty this is where the trouble happens two bad calls to open that second quarter and it's troublesome Catavis Caldwell Pope then gets a cheap rip through foul on on Anthony Simons he's getting free throws after a not particularly dubious call when Nurk picked up his third foul at the close of the quarter. There were some tough ones on the Blazers that gave the Lakers six free throws. First, a dubious reach in foul on Mello. I don't know. It was with two minutes, 19 seconds left. I just don't know. I, I don't think he got him. Um, tough call. It was, it was like a pass across the paint. He reached for it along with uh, Alex Caruso and they called Mello for the foul. I don't know. I don't know, but you get free throws because they're in the bonus. 
Then, with a minute and nine seconds left, LeBron James trips over Danny Green, who was on the ground. Gary Trent Jr. definitely put his hand on LeBron's chest on the replay and kind of pushes him, for sure. But I don't think if Danny Green is on the ground right below at LeBron's feet, LeBron doesn't trip. There's no whistle. This is a fall-down-go-boom classic. LeBron fell down. They blew a whistle. It's It was a really tough call. You get free throws out of it because you're in the bonus. And then Gary Trent Jr. was called for a, a pretty weak foul, maybe just a non-existent foul with about 30 seconds left as LeBron was driving down the right side of the paint. Again, free throws. That's how you get 31 free throws in the first half. It wasn't that all of these, it wasn't a bunch of fouls at the rim or it wasn't a bunch of questionable calls inside that, that were here or there. There were just some dubious calls early in the quarter in both of these quarters on hand checks or a uh, or, or an and one that didn't need to be an and one or this rebounding foul on Hassan. And that is where it escalated. I don't necessarily think this was the case of some sort of superstar rigged garbage. I do think this was the case of, of LeBron James being aggressive, really aggressive going to the rim and doing what superstars do and getting the benefit of the doubt and getting the Blazers in the penalty early. It was those early fouls in the second quarter that really changed the momentum of this game. Two minutes in, you commit two, you get two fouls that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have gotten. You're more than halfway towards the penalty, or halfway towards the penalty rather, and then the Lakers are just going to get a just a absolute parade to the free throw line. After that, that's how you shoot 31 free throws in the first half. Despite all this, the Blazers led 57-53 at the break. They they're still in the game, but I think the free throw stuff was undeniable, which is why I wanted to touch on it here. And look, the Lakers missed a bunch of these free throws. They were 18 of 31 of the free throw line. If they shoot 70%, they score three more points, right? There would be 21 of 31. There's the math for you. It would have been a one-point game if they just shoot a normal percentage. They're about their normal percentage of the free throw line. They didn't. They missed a ton. They left the game open. But this, the whistle absolutely affected the game. I'm not here for conspiracy theories, but I'm here for undeniable truths. The Blazers got some tough whistles, particularly early in both quarters in the first half, and it kept the Lakers in the game. And then the Lakers are better than the Blazers, so they whooped their ass in the second half. But I think it's worth it was worth analyzing the foul calls. There's a couple really tough ones. And I think that, I don't know if it changed the momentum, but it certainly was a factor in why the game was as close as it was in the first half. The Blazers played a sterling offensive first half, and they probably could have been and maybe maybe should have been up by double digits with a chance to hold on to a larger lead after halftime. Do I think that it changed the outcome of the game ultimately? No, I do not. But I think it certainly impacted that first quarter undeniably, or excuse me, that first half undeniably. The real reason the Blazers lost this game is because they don't have real good solutions for the Lakers stars. Refs aside, the Blazers just have trouble guarding Anthony Davis and LeBron James. A lot of that responsibility falls on Yusuf Nurkic, and he's had a tough couple games in games two and three, and that, that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. But before I get there, I want to tell y'all about CBDMD. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair. Everyone needs support to make it through the day. Luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. First, there's CBD Freeze with Menthol. It's an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. And then there's CBD Recover, which combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And to make it even easier... 
to try this amazing duo of topicals and everything else that CBDMD has to offer, they're offering my listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com and the promo code is NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oils and products from CBDMD. Forgot to shout him out to open the show, but thank you, Dre Slaps, for the new music. We love it here. So in the first segment, we talked about the free throw disparity. Certainly a factor in the Blazers' loss, but by for my money, not the factor. Uh, it wasn't. It, it certainly changed the, the timbre of the game, but it didn't change the outcome on its own. I think there were several factors. And one of those factors was that at the very end of the game, Yusuf Nurkic, probably Blazers' second most important player, maybe their third most important just because they need CJ to score so many points, but for my money, probably their second most important player on any given night, just looked exhausted. He looked absolutely gassed. Let's back up a little bit. On Friday, in between games two and three, the Blazers announced that Zach Collins has a stress fracture in his left ankle and... It will require surgery, and he will be out for the remainder of the postseason. I think it was pretty clear that Collins was going to miss the rest of this series the way the Blazers had treated it. Even if he hadn't needed surgery here, they'd ruled him out for a week. A week would have been uh, next Wednesday. That would have been Game 5 when he would have been reevaluated. That just doesn't—the math doesn't seem to add up that he would be back. Even if the game went—the series went 7, it seems relatively unlikely that he would have been cleared to play. In any case, he would have missed a bunch of these games, and maybe enough of these games that the series would have ended without getting to Game 6 or Game 7. But it, he's not, it wasn't that. He's hurt. He's, he's getting ankle surgery. A real bummer for Collins, who has only played in 11 games this year, and then one play-in game, and then is back on the shelf after uh, with another injury. Absolutely, he's got to be absolutely devastated. A, 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 tough, a tough road for him. So what does that mean for Yusuf Nurkic? It means that help ain't coming. Help wasn't coming anyways, but now it is truly official. The Blazers' front line is depleted. Trevor Reza, who could have played a little bit of power forward, not there. Forward Rodney Hood, out since December with an Achilles injury. Caleb Swanigan opted out of coming to the bubble. The Blazers signed a point guard, Jalen Adams, to fill their end of their rotation heading into the bubble experiment. So the Blazers front line is basically Carmel is not even basically. It is Carmelo Anthony, Wenya Gabriel, Yusuf Nurkic, and Hassan Whiteside. The Blazers changed things up a little bit in game three, starting Whiteside and Nurkic together. Uh, that was a little bit to just match up better with the Lakers size. Maybe um, they had a real rebounding advantage with that starting group, particularly JaVale McGee in game two. I think it was in some ways to neutralize that. And while that helped, it didn't help with the Blazers' depth. In fact, late in the third quarter, as the game was starting to slip away with the reserves on the court, Terry Stotts had seen enough, and he opened up the fourth quarter with his best, four, his core four dudes on the court, Dame, CJ, Mello, and Yusuf Nurkic. And at the midway through that fourth quarter, Yusuf Nurkic looked gassed. He caught a pick, he caught a pick and roll in the middle of the paint and kind of just flipped up a little, um, you know, underhand scoop 
as he crashed through the lane and a couple defenders. Didn't go up particularly strong. That's something that Nurk does a bunch of, but it kind of looked like a guy who had lost his explosiveness. Of course, he dunked on the possession prior to that and the possession after that, so he still had a little bit left in the tank, but you could tell it was it was draining him. And then defensively, in the middle of the, in the, middle of the fourth quarter, the Blazers just went to a pick-and-pop, and they said, we bet Anthony Davis can beat you. And he did. And it was, Nurk just had trouble getting there and, and closing down Davis's space. He looked gassed. He just looked tired. After the game, I asked Terry Stott specifically about fatigue, and he said it was certainly a factor, but he had to keep his best guys on the court because he wanted to win. Here's the problem. The Blazers need Yusuf Nurkic to be so incredibly good, but they don't have an option when he's not good or when he's tired. So not only do they need him to be incredibly good, they need him to be incredibly good for 38 minutes a night, and that might be too much to ask. When the Blazers won game one, Yusuf Nurkic had 16 and 15. Awesome game. Really impactful. Game two, nine and eight. Kind of quiet. Game three, 10 and seven. He needs to be a major, major factor. And Jason Quick noted this in his piece in TheAthletic.com that published on Saturday is basically that the Blazers ask Yusuf Nurkic to do everything, and right now he's he just might not have enough gas in the tank to do everything. So even though we probably already knew what how this was going to shake out, the Collins injury announcement on Friday really underscored what a big ask it is for Hassan Whiteside and Yusuf Nurkic. And particularly Yusuf Nurkic because he's better than Hassan Whiteside. He's more skilled than him. He can do more stuff. He's just, you can run more offense through him. Him and Dame are some of the, you know, two of the best pick and roll, maybe the best pick and roll pairing in the league. Certainly one of the best pick and roll pairings in the league. Hassan is not that. Like the the ask is just much bigger for Nurk because he's a better he's a better basketball player. Here's a telling stat for Yusuf Nurkic. In three games, he has zero blocks, one steal. I don't think Nurk can statistically outplay Anthony Davis. Uh, Anthony Davis, at worst, is one of the 10 best players in the NBA. Nurk is probably one of the 30 or 40 best players in the NBA. I just That matchup is tough for him. Davis is strong enough to, to deal with Nurk's size. He's fast enough to get past him. He's long enough to get over him. It's a tough matchup because it's a tough matchup for anyone. Anthony Davis is very, very good. But Nurk has to be a little bit better. And here's the problem with that ask. He doesn't get extra rest. There's not a another big guy on the roster that can soak up a ton, a ton of minutes. Even Hassan at his best in game one, I thought he didn't have a very good first half. Didn't even have a very good first three quarters. He just played really well down the stretch. So it's not like you can soak up 30-some minutes for from Hassan and then have Nurk play just a gangbuster's 18 minutes to steal a game that they don't have that luxury it seems like the Blazers may the the toll that has taken to get this far may have finally caught up with Yusuf Nurkic and I don't think there's a solution but I think it's just it's just the truth he looks gassed and how and his sort of fatigue level may determine the Blazers ceiling for success if he doesn't have it or he just can't i mean some sometimes the simplest explanation is teams lose because the other team's better and in this case anthony davis might just be better than nurk and wearing him out he can pick and pop him pop him to death like he did in game three he can drive to the rack and really really force the issue like he did in game two um it's just 
there is not a good solution. And then if and if Nurk, particularly if they're going to go with this big lineup, is tasked with guarding Anthony Davis on one end, that's a big ask for someone who then they want to run a ton of pick and rolls or be a high post passing fulcrum. The ask might be too big for Yusuf Nurkic. And I don't say that because I think he's incapable of it. I just think he's he's fatigue has caught up with him. It's real. And the Blazers' lack of depth means that there is no solution to that fatigue. All right, in the third segment, I want to close out the show talking about what needs to happen for the Blazers to have a chance to even the series in Game 4. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bilt Bar. You remember Bilt Bar? It's a protein bar that tastes great. If you've tried other protein bars, you know they can be kind of dry and unappetizing. That's not what Bilt Bar is. Bilt Bar is a protein bar that tastes delicious, and it's even more deliciouser. That's in their ad copy. I didn't just make that up. I will make up words, but this one I actually read. Bill Bar is Bill Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. Like I said, they're delicious. They come in 18 amazing flavors. They got six new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. That goes with the ones you already know and love, like mint brownie, peanut butter, banana bread, salted caramel, toffee almond. That's right. That's a whole bunch of delicious flavors. And the best news is that they're also a wonderful option for the health conscious among us because they're low calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. Great for the keto diet. Remember that peanut butter bar I just mentioned? Take, for instance, that delicious flavor. It's got 19 grams of protein packed in that bad boy. 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and just 5 grams of net carbs. It's a pretty good deal, and it tastes pretty good too. Want to know what makes the deal better? Is that you can go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON right now for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Lockdown Blazers. Still jamming out to that new Dre slaps. Thanks, Dre. We talked about the foul calls, the foul disparity, the obvious storyline from game three. We talked about Yusuf Nurkic's fatigue. I don't think the Blazers have a solution for it. I think it is just a real problem they will face going forward. So you say, Mike, that's a lot of negativity. Why are you doing this to me? Offer me some real solutions. Here are things that have to happen if the Blazers are going to win game four. One, they just need to get a few more rebounds. During the regular season, the Blazers were a bad rebounding team. Here's the bad news. They were not good at rebounding when the games, when the other games were being played. They gave up about 20, almost 27%. They seeded almost 27% of the available offensive rebounds to the other team. That's about what the, what the Lakers have been doing. Uh, in Game 3, the Lakers grabbed 28% of the available offensive rebounds. This is right about the, the what the Blazers have been. Of course, this was a little more glaring because the Blazers started two bigs. They started Carmelo Anthony at the three, um, so they had a little more size there than maybe they traditionally did. In theory, Carmelo Anthony's a good rebounder. In practice, I don't think that's actually true. So... I don't even think the Blazers got killed more on the glass than they typically did during the regular season. It was just they were a bad rebounding team when the before the hiatus, and they're a bad rebounding team now. But they're but particularly this is just who the Lakers are. They're a very good defensive team who rebounds really well. They can't shoot, but they can defend and they crash the boards and they play well in transition. So while I wanted to point to offensive rebounding, just clean up the defensive glass. 
I don't know if you can take away that strength. You could probably negate it a little bit and rebound better than they did and come up maybe with some crucial rebounds. I think offensive rebounding is going to be, um, will, is a big factor. Absolutely. Um, you know, Carmelo Anthony pointed to in his postgame uh, press conference, but I don't, I think the Lakers just are going to have an advantage there. It's, it's what they're going to do to everyone and what they've done to everyone all year long. So while rebounding is a is obviously crucial, it's not something that I think is just an easy fix. It's not like, listen, Hassan and, and Nurk, Yusuf Nurkic have to box out and get boards. If Hassan Whiteside boxed out, he'd be a different player. Dean Oliver, the man who wrote Basketball on Paper and, and one of the godfathers of sort of the analytics generation, the analytics movement, basically identified four reasons why you win games. Shooting, rebounding, turnovers, and free throws. In a lot of ways, the Lakers' rebounding, turnovers, and free throws have remained relatively constant, aside from the first half of Game 3, which was outrageous. But in Game 1 and Game 2, their numbers look pretty similar. They grabbed about 27% of their misses in Game 1, 31% of their misses in Game 2. They turned the ball over 8% of the time in Game 1 and 12%, or almost 13% of the time in Game 2. They actually turned the ball over more in that blowout win in Game 2 than they did in a loss in Game 1. And their free throw rate, they basically didn't shoot free throws in Game 2 because they just rolled to a 30-point lead and it didn't matter. And their free throw rate wasn't a major outlier in the Game 1 loss. So that leaves us with the final of the four factors, which is shooting. Shooting may decide the series. How stupid is that? It is a make or miss league because it seems like when the Lakers miss, they're grabbing just under a third of their misses. That's just what seems like it's going to happen. I don't think the Blazers fixed that. And I think pointing to that like I did after game two was a mistake because the Lakers you saying let's negate one of the best teams of the league's strengths seems unlikely. So what do you do? How do you fix this? You just shoot better. The Lakers went 5 of 32 from 3 in Game 1. They missed a, a just a boatload of open looks. So that is not as easy a solution, but the Lakers' defense has really clamped up Portland when... Uh, the game is on the line. Dame and CJ were awesome in the first half of Game 3. Dame had 19, CJ had 20. Uh, but they, the offense kind of wilted down the stretch. They were really, really, they had a really tough fourth quarter, the whole team, not just those two guys. So what is my solution? Uh, yes, it is the sagely wisdom to make more shots. But let me be a little bit more specific, because make more shots is a stupid level of analysis. Is it, an, it is indeed a make-or-miss league, and the Blazers have one key player that's been missing a bunch of shots. Do you remember Gary Trent Jr. from the seeding games when he was just absolutely absurd? He shot 50% from three on eight and a half attempts a game. Yeah, he was incredible for the Blazers. A fantastic addition, an absolute game changer. He had, in those eight games, he had six where he made at least four three-pointers. In three games against the Lakers, he's made six total. He is six of 22 from deep. So my solution is not for Damon CJ to carry the load. It's for them to get back to the... It's for the regression that is happening for Gary Trent Jr. right 
now to kind of even out. He's shooting below 30% from three in the series. He's a, he's like a 40% three-point shooter during the year. He wasn't going to shoot 50%. He's not going to shoot 30%. Let's get that fool back to 40%. Let's get that stabilized, very good shooting Gary Trent Jr. to return. And why I offer Gary Trent Jr. as a solution is because he's not going to get the attention that Dame gets. He's not going to get the attention that CJ gets. He's not going to be in the high-level decision-making areas where Yusuf Nurkic is. Gary Trent Jr. can get spot-up looks against this team. He can get the looks he's been getting and knock them down. That is that is my solution. Have the guy that saved you in the seeding games get back to that level. Now, he's not going to shoot 50 plus percent from 3 on 8 attempts a game, but he could shoot he could shoot better. And better might be the difference. The Blazers got blown out in Game 2. I think that's an outlier. I think what we saw in Game 3 was probably closer to what this series is. The Blazers were in the lead and competitive. They had a really bad close to the third quarter. And then when the game was sort of in the, hanging in the balance from that eight minute to the four minute mark of the fourth quarter, they didn't have an answer for Anthony Davis. The game was still right there. It was theirs for the taking. They just didn't, they didn't have enough offense and they looked exhausted. I don't think you can fix the fatigue, but I do think you can ask a guy who's good at shooting to make more shots. And I don't think you have to do anything particularly special to get Gary Trent Jr. the same looks he's been getting. This is the trick. This is this is reductive analysis, perhaps, but I think this is the simplest option the Blazers have for evening the series. They were good enough on a outlier bad shooting night in the Lakers to win that game. And they were sort of in the game despite a crazy free throw dis- disparity and a really brutal fourth quarter. If... If you think there are, you know, eight points or or so worse than the Lakers, the type of thing that can swing an upset is shooting. And the Blazers went for this strategy in game three. Wenyan Gabriel did not play very much. I don't think he would have, he might not have played really at all, except for the foul trouble to Hassan Whiteside and Yusuf Nurkic early in the game. Wenyan might have seen his whole, this all of his minutes evaporate um, for, in favor of the Blazers going a little bit smaller and getting more offense on the court. The Anthony Simons, who did not play in game one and just played garbage time in game two, got on the court and played 14 minutes. He didn't play particularly well. 0 for 4 from the uh, from the floor, 0 for 3 from 3, committed four fouls, um, had one nice steal reaching down in on LeBron James on the, pro, on the post, but he had a couple plays just by virtue of being able to get into the paint, touch the paint, as they say, and kick out that it changed the geometry. So my solution for the Blazers in game four is have guys like Gary Trent Jr., a known shooter, and if the Blazers are going to go with more offense, Anthony Simons, in theory, someone who can shoot, make those shots. Role players have to make shots. That's the solution. I don't think the rest of it changes too much. The rebounding, the turnovers, the free throws, those seem like things that are either out of the Blazers' control or enough of the strength for the Lakers that they cannot impact. What they can impact is getting their role players to make open shots that they are going to get. That's the trick. That's my solution. Game four is Monday evening. I have a show for you after that one. Because of that Blazers game four on Monday night, we're going to push back Mailbag Monday to Tuesday, probably. Haven't exactly figured out when it's going to work, but just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or send me an email lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. <laughs>